All right, so here we are in West Lafayette, Indiana, uh, and uh, we're going to cover um, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is the famous uh, Tower of Babel story, and um, the Tower of Babel story, um, it's interesting. It's, it's sort of like um, one, of those, one of those mythical stories about like how something started, you know, like how the elephant got its trunk or something like that. It's like how the languages of the world formed. Uh, but as we've seen in the stories of the book of Genesis, um, the story works at a, at a certain level, uh, at, the, at the historical level or at the local level, and then there's uh, a real depth to it uh, in terms of um, how it speaks to us today and how it speaks to like universal human themes. And I think some of the themes that are uh, at play in the story is um, community, like what can really inspire oneness, um, the whole issue of one language versus many. Like that's really an interesting uh, theme. Um, in America, we all speak English, but nobody can understand each other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and, then, and then there are certain words like you don't know if you, you're allowed to say, and it's like really kind of nerve-wracking. So um, those of you who don't speak English as your native tongue, uh, raise your hand, raise your hand, like you speak another language. You speak another language, or, or, or you're capable of speaking another language. You know another language. How many of you know two? I mean, like English and another language. So how many of you know three? Three. Four? How many languages do you speak? So, so 900? No. Yeah. See, here's a fellow who just straight up admits that they're different languages. Chinese people keep insisting it's Chinese, but they can't understand each other, you know? <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, so, so the theme of, theme of um, language or mutual um, intelligibility, like I kind of, um, so, so then, so then the, the basis of relationships, the basis of like oneness. So those are the, the, the themes that are in this story. So, so let's jump in. Um, so Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Like, wow, that would be really nice, right? Um, as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, which is like current-day Iraq, and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. So a tower with this top in the heavens, very ambitious project, and let us make a name for ourselves, because, man, if we can do that, we'll be famous. Lest, so there's some fear here, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built, and the Lord said, "Behold, they are one people, and they have one, all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So you know you, you, you trace the origin of human not not humanity like down to like Australopithecines or something something like that but the, but this cultures and language and it's really interesting there, there's this idea that it all has one point of origin. So on one level 
it sort of it sort of matches what we're what we're finding, um, but at, at a deeper level, uh, it it speaks to every one of us personally. Like, what are the driving forces that split us apart, and how can genuine oneness and community be possible? Right, that's what's at stake. So let's look at verse four. And if you look at verse four, there are uh, two two things that drive humanity uh, that are featured here. And, and verse 4 is here. So as you look at this verse, come let us build ourselves a city uh, and look, look at the words and discuss with your neighbor um, what are, how would you characterize the two things that you see here that are almost universal drivers uh, of, of human activity. Big motivators. So, so let us build ourselves and, and let us make a name for ourselves. So how would you characterize that? Like ambition, um, something like that. And then lest we be scattered. So there's a fear. There's a fear of scattering. And maybe that is related to uh, insignificance. And, and uh, so lest, like I need to do this lest I, right? Like I need to get that degree lest I, what? you know, become a, become a loser, right? Become poor, become... Uh, so um, I, I would characterize this as the drive for significance and the desire for security. And uh, maybe the drive for significance like drives you from the front and the, and, and the fear uh, and, and the desire for security pushes you from the back. And I think we're, we're all totally familiar with these two <laughs> driving factors. Uh, and and it's, it's nearly universal. History is filled with examples of this people seeking significance. Uh, I think all of our campuses are full of examples of this. You know, the, the big benefactors, right, um, that grant entire buildings and entire departments and put their name on it. Uh, people like Elon Musk and the Tower of Tesla. I heard um, Elon Musk, who's a rather amazing genius, right? Like, he, he runs, like, several companies, every one of which would be pretty awesome. Uh, and, um, but he's also kind of immature, so I heard that he uh, was going to send... Uh, Jeff Bezos, a um, a silver medal uh, and a large statue of the word of the letter two, because he surpassed him as the world's um, richest per person. So, um, yeah. So, um, how do, how does this hit you? The 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 search for significance. Like I want to be significant, and um, you might think think, well, I'm not. I'm not like crazy ambitious like these guys you know i don't i don't need to be significant i just i just need my friends 
to think I'm special. I just need you to think I'm special. I want you to know that out of all the people, you know, like, don't, do you know that I'm very special? I, among, among, see, but I can't be special in the world, right? Occupied by like giants like Bezos and, and Elon Musk. So I'm going to say among Baptist, Asian American, bilingual pastors of Korean origin <laughs> above the age of 57, I'm a pretty good basketball player. I'm clearly top 10. So, so that's how we do it, right? <laughs> like we're not going to build the biggest tower, but we're going to kind of narrowly define our, our domain and, and like try to build a tower. And, and it's, 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 so you don't have to be crazy ambitious. It's just specialness. Like I want to be recognized. I want my name to be recognized. Like, and, and, um, and then, of course, the, a fear of threats, a uh, fear of loss, a uh, fear of uh, being crushed by life. And so then, then, the, then the desire for security. And that manifests itself, uh, I think, metaphorically in the Bible as building walls, like building a city with gates and like hiding yourself in there. And um, when I went to the Forbidden City, I think that was the, the, the palace of the, the Ming or the Qing or one of those dynasties, the Kim dynasty, maybe the Kang dynasty, I forgot. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to like wake up the Chinese people in here like, what? Kim's a Korean last name, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and then I went there, and it was interesting. It was nine layers of walls, like nine layers of walls, and deep in there. And so, th so what is that? That is a testament to wealth and power, but it might also be a testament to the depth of fear and feeling threatened, right? So, so that desire for security and desire for significance. So we build towers too, um, and it's the tower of you know my GPA or my little skill or my specialness. Maybe it doesn't feel like a tower because all I want is a comfortable life, you know, a modest little home in the suburbs with a yard, you know, not a whole lot of acreage, but like a yard for my kids to play in surrounded by nice woods uh, or uh, just a nice escape into an idyllic romantic relationship. And, and there I'll be forever safe uh, from uh, lack of relational or emotional um, insecurity. So this kind of strange and old story, uh, if, you, if you peer into it, like it has a lot, to, like a lot of resonance with how we experience life and ourselves. So where are you on this? Like so the search for significance and the, the flight from fear that causes you to value safety and security above all, right? Both of those things are, are at play almost constantly. Um, and then verse 4, there's another aspect of this. Um, with a tower with its top in the heavens. That is not an innocent expression. Uh, the, the word heavens here implies a challenge to God. And um, that too is kind of a universal theme. Like why is it that we experience our powers uh, a kind of intention with God's powers so that it isn't uncommon for uh, a person to like experience Things going well, you know, I have a good job. Um, I have a, a lot, like a lot of things are going well. My career is going well. I have a nice home. Uh, I have leisure, you know, I have my own fishing boat. Like I have all of this, so I don't need God. Like why does it have to finish like that? You know, I'm on the path to success and I'm gonna get this PhD and man, I lucked out in, in, the, in the most cutting edge happening research 
and I'm, I'm going to get a good postdoc, and I'm going to get my professorship, and I will publish in Nature and Science on the same month, you know? Um, and, and therefore, I don't want any of this God talk. Like, why does that, why does it have to end that way? And yet it often does emotionally. It's not logical, emotionally. Why is that? Like, why is it that, that we find, uh, as, as we are claiming our domain, that we're telling God, like, this is not your domain? Because I think intuitively, even agnostics and atheists recognize that if there is a God, like, he has a claim over my life. And the book of Genesis has taught us that's the definition of sin. It's the self-assertion of the I, you know, the letter in the middle of the word sin, I. It's the I problem. And it's, it's a person saying, I want to be autonomous from God. I don't want to have anything to do with God. A philosopher, uh, Nagel, uh, who teaches at NYU and is an atheist, says, you know, I think humanity has a cosmic authority issue. And so we, we, we don't have grounds for atheism, but we assert it anyway because we don't want the idea of authority. Like, I want to live on the power of my own creation. I want to be, in other words, my own God. Um, it's my life, we insist. It's my life. Like, that's so fun to say, huh? Have you ever said that to your parents? It's my life. Oh, man, some of you are nodding. You bad boy, you say, you say sorry to mom and dad for saying that. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, you know, like this poopy little child that you kept alive, you know, when they were infants. And suddenly, that's my life. Like, really? I didn't know it was your life. <laughs> I thought I gave you life. Well, yeah, we, we insist that against God. Like, it's my life. Contrary to reason and evidence, we say it's my life. Really? Like, you synthesize the cells in your body? your life? I think not. At minimum, you need to be like wonder, like be filled with wonder and gratitude. But we say, nah, you know, we got it figured out. You see it in the lab. It's, you know, amino acids and DNA and whatever it is. And, and it's my life. My iPad just reset by itself. All right. So now you think about that. You think about how um, intuitive, how right that feels, and yet how sort of ungrounded that, that experience is. So here they are, like using their God-given creative genius to build something and using all of their organizational ability. And they've, they, they figured out how to bake bricks. You know, that's like technological. Like, I mean, we're still baking bricks. We're still dealing with ceramics. How many of you in material science? Anybody in material science, you know what they do? They, 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 they try to bake bricks in ever higher temperatures and like, you know, add weird stuff to it. Ceramics, like that's still big. Well, these guys finally figured out, wait a minute, we can make mud things and instead of just drying it in the sun, we can actually put it in, in high heat and then it comes out lighter and stronger and we can build higher because it won't crush the, the like it's a, it's a technological, and then you don't have to quarry stones because they're all weird sizes, like it's very standardized, right? So it's the first like mass-produced um, technology. So they're doing all of this, and they say, and therefore, I don't think we need God anymore. You know, it's the scientist that says, you know, I figured stuff out, and so we don't need God to explain anything. It's like, what have you actually figured out? Right? You know, like science, the, the arrogance of scientists is just don't get me off on that. It's a whole other issue, right? Because science is fundamentally a humble enterprise. 
So an arrogant scientist is in some ways betraying the very tenets, the, the core principles of his field. Because science says, we don't know. And we think we know, but we might be wrong. So we're going to set up a control, and we're going to set up the experimental, and we're going to have a hypothesis, and we're going to rigorously test it. Because people have bent minds and prejudices, and the scientific method scrubs it of all that. It's a fundamentally humble discipline. And then they come out and say, as a scientist, I know God doesn't exist, which is crazy. Anyway, don't get me off on that. All right, so, so, the, so the rejection of a higher authority, a higher claim over my life is a theme in this story. Like this tower is going to reach the heavens. Um, and, and it is pretty amazing what mankind is able to do, right? I mean, you, you fly into uh, one of these cities. I think L.A. is my favorite um, experience of flying in at night and you see an ocean of city lights like as far as the eye can see um, so so here's a quote from uh, President JFK um, making a speech a few weeks after the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and I think he was flush with confidence and uh, he gave a commencement address at the American University he said this we need not accept that view our problems are man-made therefore they can be solved by man and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. I cannot imagine a global leader saying such things today. Because man-made problems are about to engulf us. I mean, with all of our brilliance, we have created... Weapons that will destroy humanity many times over and with all of our industry. We're heating up the planet uh, To God knows what consequences uh, And yet here is the hubris We can make a tower that reaches the heavens We can be we can solve our problems man can be as big as he wants No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Um, I mean, it's a good spirit cheer people up, but um that kind of hubris, that kind of uh, pride is uh, involved in this story. Um, the idea that I can replace God with a tower that reaches the heavens. But of course, even as you say this, right, um, like we have a hard time believing in our own hype, which means we need to keep doing greater things in order to convince ourselves we're not so inadequate, right? And, and we saw that in Cain and the children of Cain. Um, interesting thing about the tower, it starts with a we, like, hey, let us do this, let us do this. But what's characteristic of a tower? What's characteristic of a tower is it's like it gets narrower and narrower. Uh, I don't know if you guys are Lord of the Rings fans, the Minas Tirith, you know, when Gandalf rides up the, the spire. It's pretty, like, wow, how did they f film something like that? And, you know, at the very top, you know. So... Um, in some ways, life is arranged that way, uh, hierarchical, and fewer and fewer people at the top, right? Socially, it's like that. You know, you're part of a crowd, and then, and then you can be part of a popular crowd by pushing out some people and drawing the circle narrower and narrower. Um, and the alliances that, that start, like, they're all, they're all sort of temporary, right? Alliances at work or alliances in common endeavors, the mutual interest uh, drives it. But when the interests are no longer mutual, all those alliances dissolve. 
You know, it's like those uh, alliances when you're playing Risk or other board games. Um, I remember being really good at Risk um, because I would, I would be able to persuade people to, to trust me. Like, hey, 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 just I won't attack. I'm going I'm to go for them. And then when they trust me, I go, ha, ha, and I attack them. And they're like, gosh, as a pastor, how can you do this? So then, um, yeah, it was kind of, uh, but, you know, at the end of the board game, you know, all those alliances are just kind of strategic moves and only one person is going to win. Um, so, so it starts with a common purpose, something t- so tall and huge that, uh, that, like, wow, that's inspiring. Like, let's do that. Um, because we love making huge things and being dwarfed by that experience. Like that's a, that's a pleasure, and I think that's a, a fallen pleasure that really t- shows us that what we're really driving at is worship. But that, that, that would, that's another topic altogether. But like all things driven by fear and ambition, uh, eventually there's strife and competition and maybe even violence uh, because the interests are no longer mutual. As the pie gets smaller, as that small piece of floating wood gets crowded, and it comes to push to shove, and you know some people have to drown, and it's not going to be me. Um, so, so verse five, and the Lord came down. The Lord came down. Um, so, I, I think there's a little irony here um, because they're saying like this is so awesome, it's gonna it's gonna reach the, the heavens, and the Lord can't quite see it. It's like what is it that they're doing? So he needs to come down. Um, and and I, I I think I think there's there's um there's a lesson here like you know people who think their accomplishments are so grand, um, towers that men thought were so gigantic and so immense, um, it's it's laughable the pretensions of men. Uh, I don't know if you uh, encounter any of this in in museums and, and things like that where um, the 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 giants of history like make these sweeping boasts about how awesome they are. And, uh, like even to our eyes, with a couple of centuries beyond them, uh, what they accomplished seemed fairly minuscule. Um, and it's interesting, God says, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people, they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to now would be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and they're con- confuse their language. So it seems like God's actually threatened, like, oh, oh, they're reaching heaven, we better stop this. You know, th- th- that's what it sounds like, and, and sort of at the level of this story, it kind of works, but... Uh, what's really going on, if you look at the pattern of God's activity in humanity, is after the fall, um, there's a certain critical mass. Like, things get uh, worse and worse, and God keeps heading it off uh, out of mercy, out of his, his desire to see violence stopped. So Cain kills his brother, says, okay, nobody killed Cain. Like, let the violence not continue. So as this is going on, um, God wants to uh, scatter people so that, like, that critical mass of wickedness uh, won't do even more uh, damage. Um, and, and then he says, let us go and confuse their language. Um, I think being unable to understand each other is actually, it turns out to be a natural consequence of pride, a natural consequence of those who sort of gather with the goal of making a name for themselves, right? Because only, only, only you're into that. Like things that are based on all of our pride and ego. Like, how long will our pride and ego like align to a common goal? Uh, not for long. Not for long. So there can be no lasting unity. Only clashing interests, clashing egos, fear of one another. And so, uh, by the time God scatters them, it's a mercy. Um, and then, and then let's kind of revisit one of the stated goals for why the, the builders of the of the tower wanted to build. They said, "Lest we be scattered over the face of the earth." 
Like l l let's let's look at that. Like so far, I've been talking about ego, pride, make a make a great name for ourselves. But the other thing is like, we don't want to be scattered. We don't want to be dispersed. Uh, uh, let, let's build something that would be high, can be seen from many places, and, and it'll provide cohesion among us. Like it's a civic project, right? Like we don't want to be scattered because when we're together, you know, maybe we can defend against our enemies. Let's, 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 um, it means already they had some sneaking suspicion uh, that there were forces that were pulling people apart. That what they most what they most need, like genuine love and community, uh, it cannot be had. So maybe we can substitute it for something, because otherwise the forces that separate us, the centrifugal forces which threaten to loosen our bonds, like it's going to scatter us. Um, wh why would they experience that? Because they had already dislodged God from the center. And, and if they had dislodged God from the center, and, and then they look at each other like, who are you? Oh, you're my brother, you're my sister, because we've been created by God. Well, if that's not there, then who are you? Well, we're just competing over the same finite resources. You know, that's essentially uh, anti-community. So maybe we can engage in this project together. In other words, I think they're sensing that they don't have a whole lot in common that will create the basis of genuine relationship. So what are you doing after you graduate? Where will you go? You ask a, a new grad or a senior. I don't know. New York, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, um, Silicon Valley, maybe Seattle where the jobs are or where my grad school uh, is going to take me. Why? Well, because I'm done here. I'm done here. Got my bachelor's. I'm done here. Nothing to keep me here. Like, what will keep anybody anywhere if we're all driven by self-interest? Right? Right? Like, what will keep you, what will keep you or anyone else anywhere rooted so that history, mutual history, uh, the collective sort of growth of character and the writing of a mutual common history uh, can form us. Well, why would anybody do that if we're all driven by self-interest? Um, so the leaders among this community got together, say, hey, we need to have something to pull us together. Uh, and the tower sounds like a good idea. You know, um, and the, the word Babel, Babylon, some translations will straight up say that this is Babylon. Um, the ziggurats, I don't know if you've encountered those spiral uh, uh, temple things. Um, and, 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 and so that will keep us together, a, a tall tower. These never work. You know, the Third Reich, Hitler boasted that it would last a thousand years. Communism, you know, drunken by the... the uh, sort of idealistic picture of, you know, the workers' utopia. If we can only get rid of um, those capitalists, then, then heaven on earth will be unleashed. And, you know, the very people that led the revolution in short order no longer believed in it. The ideology became only a, a battle cry to justify, you know, the, uh, consolidating power under them. 
or American consumerism, which almost seems to have exhausted itself. Like, what is a center that can actually hold, that can actually create what all of humanity really hungers for, right? which is a genuine love, genuine community? Only God can be that center. You replace God with any Tower of Babel, it will not work. You become fragmented. The center cannot hold. Things fall apart, as a famous poem says. Whatever no noble cause, it may start out well, but human pride will destroy it eventually, or maybe not even eventually, like almost in short order, because human pride cannot create community. Pride is essentially isolating. Here's a, here's a, a lovely quote from G.K. Chesterton. So listen to this. So you are the creator and redeemer of the world. So he's talking about people who think like they're their own God, you know. So he says, so you are the creator and redeemer of the world. But what a small world it must be. What a little heaven you must inhabit with angels no bigger than butterflies. How sad it must be to be God and an inadequate God. How much happier you would be, how much more of you there would be if the hammer of a higher God could smash your small cosmos, scattering the stars like spangles, and leave you in the open, free like other men, to look up as well as look down. I love this quote because um, it's funny, and um, the picture is really arresting, but you know, this is what we, we all want. Like You want to be the God of your own small universe, you know? Like some of your advisors, you know, the king of their lab or something like, you know, and, and it's, it's miserable. And who wants to really be a part of that world? Like, who, like hey, you know, like you, 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 if you're actually honest, you say, hey, here's what my life is about. My life is about proving to everyone that I am special, that I am worthy of paying attention to, and that I am worthy of... Um, thinking about fairly constantly. And um, that's what my life is going to be about. Would you like to be part of that world? Uh, okay, line up over here if you want to sign up, you know? So everybody's their own little king and queen and prince and princess. And that's what people think they want. Except it robs them of what they're truly hungry for. What are, what are, we, what are we truly hungry for? Like, it, it's, it, it's such a secret that we, we sometimes blush to say it, and that's why we don't. What, what are we hungry for? We're hungry for love. We're, 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 we're made by a God who introduces himself in the shortest most compact expression, God is love. Well, if we've been created by that God, then, then we're meant to receive and give love. You know, that kid trying to perfect that crazy, dangerous skateboard move off of the ledge of some staircase to the men working, you know, 80, 90 hours in the lab, Everyone in between, every TikToker, like, what's the cry of their heart? It's like, I want love. I want love. I want love. But what do they do? They say, well, we're, I'm going to build a magnificent tower. 
Like that move is so smooth in our mind, but it's so crazy if you think about it. If you want love and you're going to buy it from people, you're going to force it out of people by being stupendously awesome, but you're not, but that's the game you want to play, good luck. That's miserable. If you want love, you have to ask for it. Kids are so cute. You be my friend, you know? And then, like, you do something really nice for, like, a three- or four-year-old, and then they'll turn to you. It's the sweetest thing. They'll go, they'll go you're my friend. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know? I'll build this Lego thing for you again. Um, they're very, uh, they, they don't know better, right? They don't know better. Um, we know better. We say we can't ask for love. We have to perform. We have to be awesome. And there's not a whole lot of love in the world. There's not a whole lot of attention in the world. So that I've got I to gotta outperform everybody else. Well, there's the infinite God who's got love with your name on it. And that's the love you're really seeking because that's the love based on truth. Because you can't fool God. That's what we're, we're seeking. So, so, let's, so, so let's go there. Let's move there. Like, okay, so that's, that's what I'm seeking. So then, so then I don't have to build a tower. Why? Because the thing that the tower, the thing that attracts us to the tower is an urge to worship. That's the other thing that we're hardly aware of, that, that the people of our world will dare not say. But what is, what is this about when we... F- when we pay like $100 to fill a football stadium to see a miracle happen, right? When, when, the, when the quarterback snaps and the, and the ball goes flying in between all these people, like apparently that's, that's a miracle. Like that's not supposed to happen neurologically. Just somehow they get it done. And then, you know, our guy goes flying down the whatever. And, and then what do we do? We erupt in an experience of total other-centeredness, right? Now, I'm describing this, but I have no idea what I'm talking about because that's never happened to me personally. I'm not into sports, but I've seen it happen at, at, at pizza places everywhere. It's like, ah! And I'm like, wow. We hunger for that. Towers, we're all sold into towers, man. If you go to New York City and you crane your neck up like this, and you can barely see the top, but we can't see the top of this glassy tower that tells you, I am awesome and you're not. You know? And there's a goosebump. It's weird, you know? It's just a building. But it's so strong and gigantic. You know, you go among the woods, the redwoods, the sequoias, go to the Grand Canyon, you see Niagara Falls thundering down like a billion gallons of water per minute. And, and you just, wow, you know? It's a, it's a total experience of being taken out of yourself, it, experiencing the pure joy of admiration. It's all uh, a secret to how we're made. We're made to worship God. We're made to be enthralled um, by beauty, excellence, worthiness, moral purity. Like occasionally you read about the guy who jumps into the subway station to rescue somebody, the risk of his life, 
moral beauty, all of that causes us awe. Yeah, they're trying to replace that with a tower full of human pride. Not going to work. So then, it's really interesting that the Bible tells of, 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 of a story happens just once. And it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And it happens at the birth of the church. In the book of Acts that records the, the birth of the Christian church, there's this bizarre scene. So here it is. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And there at the birth of the church for a moment, magic happened. All of the linguistic barriers came down and somehow everybody understood what was being said in their own native tongue. Reversal of the Tower of Babel. Being unable to understand each other because our interests really don't overlap. When will it ever overlap? When will we get genuine community? When we want to no longer make a name, a, a, a great name for ourselves. We're no longer fighting for our own significance and security. And we say, wow, I want to declare the mighty works of God. God's done some pretty mighty things. And yeah, that gives me a great joy to talk about it. Um, I still haven't seen the movie Shang-Chi, um, but, but there's a bro every, I don't know why it's, I say it's a bro, I don't know, it's anonymous. During the Q&A sessions, um, every week, like, have you seen Shang-Chi next week? Uh, this is a Q&A session for, over our message, but Pastor Ed, it's a really good movie. Have you seen it? Did you like it? So, like, I have to see it because I keep getting the same question. I don't read it every week, but I, but I, I hear you. I hear your heart's cry. I'm going to... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to see it. You see a good movie, you want to tell people about it. Like, you find a good restaurant, you want to tell people about it. Some of you are really evangelistic, like, let's go, you know? I saw that movie two, two times, but if you haven't seen it, just for the joy of seeing you see it, I'll go and watch it again, you know? The mighty works of God, like, man, I want to declare that. And then suddenly we find ourselves speaking the same language. So one of, the, one of the pure joys uh, that I've been experiencing is going to our churches and seeing how multi-ethnic we are. You know, we started like 30 years ago uh, as a monocultural, uh, like one ethnicity uh, church. I won't tell you which one. Um, but, but now, man, it's like, you know, the people my age, you know, like we're still like that because that's, but now with, with the younger folks. And what's, what's exciting is that at every campus we're at, um, we tend to be the most multi-ethnic group. Um, I forgot which campus it was, but when the campus wanted to take a picture, like for their website or for the catalog or something, they asked to come to take a picture of our group because we're, we're the most multi-ethnic. And you know, like they want to they burnish their multi-ethnic creds by like taking this picture with our group. 
Um, I, think, I think that that really glorifies God. I think that really honors God because what can, like in, in our divisive era, what a witness that would be. And when we say like, we're all different, like on the drive down, like we're talking about Scandinavians and how, like how you never hear about Finnish people. And then, and then, and then like two of our sisters says, you know, my grandparents, um, they, they always make fun of and they have like these little negative snide comments against the Finns, you know, because we're Norwegian. And so one of my grandma says, like, uh, don't call me Scandinavian because people might think that I'm from Finland. <laughs> so like, what's that about? Like, I have no idea what that's about. So that's really interesting, right? So like the rest of us, we're thinking, you know, like the elvish, you know, tall, blonde, beautiful, you know, <laughs> Finnish Nordic people. Uh, and they're all the same, you know, Nor Norway and Sweden, and they're, they're all kind of like narrow, and they all kind of meet at, near the North Pole, and you, you figure like they all love each other, like, no, no, you know. <laughs> and the Westerners probably think like Chinese, Korean, Japanese, they look exactly the same, like, excuse me, we're very different, you know. <laughs> so, you know, how do, like it really glorifies God when, because gospel is the language we want to speak we find ourselves with greater kinship than blood and tribe makes possible and that kinship is so big that it relativizes and right sizes all of our differences and and we don't we don't have to argue about all of those things because the transcendent uh, need of the day and the transcendent truth that connects us to eternity and with God, our creator, heavenly father, is the gospel. And like the church, like the early church, we start in one tongue, one language, common words. We declare the wonders of God. How cool is that? Back to our story, one final point. Um, it says, so they left off building the city. So they left off building the city. Every one of our lives, it's going to be, it's going to end like this. And if you're all about building your tower, you're going to leave that incomplete. And it's going to be tragic. It's going to be hard to grow old apart from God. Because when the whistle blows, when it's your time, you have to go. But what if your life is all about surrender, constant surrender? What if your life, because of the greatness of God and greatness of the gospel, like you want to make Jesus famous, you want to, it's all about Jesus, and I'm always giving away my rights, I'm always giving away my funds, I'm always giving away my, my, my time, and I'm already living a surrendered life. And then when you leave, you don't leave anything behind because what you've been building is eternal. And you've laid up treasures in heaven. And the difficulty of letting go um, will, be, will be more than made up for with, with the hope of all that you've invested in. And well done, good and faithful servant is what awaits you. All right. So um, let's take a minute um, just kind of thinking about uh, which of these points um, like was particularly relevant for you or particularly encouraged you and uh, let's take a minute just to think it over maybe jot down some thoughts or maybe you want to make uh, some kind of commitment based on it so I'll give you one minute to do that